0: Um, I wanna dig into this uh, part two of this series called Jesus Up Close. We started part one back in the fall. Don't worry if you weren't here, you can circle back if you wanna listen to it uh, on our podcast. Um, or on our, on our website, but basically uh, we're, we're, we're starting part two today. And I, I think I told this story last time, but I want to remind you, I want to catch you up uh, in case you might not remember where we are or in case you're, you're new here, which we have a lot of new faces here, which is which is so encouraging and so awesome. Um, I, I do some writing, like I do some fiction writing uh, in, in sort of in my life. I've done that for the last, I don't know, 10 or 15 years. And uh, I wrote a book that was set in New York City. And uh, this, was, this was back in like 2009, 2010. Been, and I realized, uh, at some point I realized, oh, this is actually going to get published, which that was fun. Um, but I also realized in that moment that, that the setting was New York City and I'd never been. And so I thought maybe that's a problem. And, and so I ended up feeling like I need to actually, like I, it's, it's, it's not enough to watch videos. It's not enough to watch movies. It's not enough to read Wikipedia articles. Uh, I need to go. And so uh, I, I took a trip, I took an early flight, one I think it was like a Tuesday morning, and I mapped out my schedule and I went around all of Manhattan as much as I could in about two days and I flew home the next night and I covered a lot of ground. I wanted to see what the place looked like, I wanted to see what it felt like, I wanted to see what it smelled like and New York City has a certain smell, right? Like, like there's, a, there, there's a smell associated with New York City. It's different now than it was back then. I'll just say that because of certain laws that were passed. Um, it, it smells a little different, but, uh, but you, I, I just to get a feel for it, I wanted to get there. I wanted to be, be present. I wanted to, like, like to, to, to see what the ground felt like. I wanted to see what the people looked like. I just wanted to be in that place. The reason I'm telling you that, the reason I'm telling you that is because... When it comes to Jesus, when it comes to your faith, you can know a lot about him. You can know a lot about Jesus and not know him. You you, you can. You you, you can know a whole lot about it. I bet right now you know a lot about Jesus. But you can do all of that and not know him. In order to know him, you need to get close. In order to know him, you need to draw close. And this is true, can I just say this? This is true whether you have followed Jesus for 100 years or you are just starting today. And I hope that there's some of you who are here who are just starting today to consider following Jesus. And we want to say, this is the best adventure going. This is the best thing going. Do this with us today. But whatever, wherever you are in the middle of, 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 of that, that's always going to be true. You can know a lot about him, but not know him. You need to get close to him in order to know him. You need to draw close to him. And that is why... This guy named John wrote this story that we're digging into. That is why all of the gospel authors wrote their, their gospels. You've probably heard of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those are the four gospels. The first three, Matthew, Mark, and Luke are known as the synoptic gospels. I'm gonna give you a couple of words today that are like, it's just extra stuff, seminary credit stuff, all right? So you don't have to remember this. But the synoptic gospels, and you may, if you've had a college class about the New Testament, you might've heard this. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are called the synoptics. What synoptic means is with one eye. It means with one eye, and here's what that means. When you, when you read those three together, and if you've studied the Bible, you may notice you see some of the same stories show up over and over again. That means that they had a source that they were looking at, that they were looking at with, with one eye. They were kind of drawing those three from the same place. There were a, a series, a collection of stories that had been told and retold and retold. And so that kind of existed out there. And Matthew and Mark and Luke were drawing from those places. So Mark was like the earliest one. He's, he was the, the first gospel. And, and what we tend to think about Mark is that it's sometimes called the gospel of Peter, which we think that a lot of what Mark said was because Mark was good friends with Peter and Peter told him all this stuff. That's pretty cool because Peter hung out with Jesus a lot. And so he was telling Mark, hey, this is what happened. This is what happened. And so what you get probably a lot in Mark is is, is, is the sayings like Peter, what Peter had to say about it. And then Matthew, all we really know about Matthew was that he was a tax collector who began to follow Jesus. And a Jewish tax collector who began to follow Jesus, he gets a certain spin from there. Luke was a really smart guy. He was a doctor. He wrote the book of Luke, and he wrote the book of Acts. That's like 28% of the New Testament, and that is the most of, of the New, like Luke wrote the most, most of the New Testament, 28% of it. He wrote between the book of Luke and Acts. There's tons of detail in those books, and Luke was a great uh, 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 you know, like, like researcher, and so he dug into a lot of things, and they're so fun to read. But John is altogether different. Like, uh, even, even just a casual reading, you're, you're going to look at John and you're going to know, this is really different than the others. And I want to tell you a little bit about why. He was the brother uh, of, of James, who were, James and John were the sons of, of Zebedee. His mom was named Salome. His, his, his mom's sister was a woman named Mary. My to her to her because she was the mother of Jesus. And so what that means is that John and Jesus were cousins Okay, John and Jesus were, were cousins. And so um, he, he was also really good friends with Peter. But by the, t- by the time John started writing, Peter had been dead for 30 years. In fact, all the disciples had been dead beyond him. And, and all the other ones were martyred. John was the only one who wasn't. But he was exiled to an island called Patmos. And, and that's where he did his writing. Now, John, when he was called to follow Jesus, he was the youngest disciple Okay, like So you see him showing up, and he's like the young one uh, hanging, hanging around. And, and so we're going to find out, we're going to see in a few weeks, this young John get, get wind of the resurrection. And he's going to race to the tomb. He's going to run as fast as he can to the tomb to see what happened, to see if it was really true. But, but here we have old John. And old John, as he's writing, he races us to the tomb too. So so the first part of this study we did, we we looked at John chapter one through 11. There's 21 chapters in the book of John. One through 11 were the first three years of Jesus' life. So he gives us an introduction to Jesus. He gives us this picture of who Jesus Jesus was. And then he's just racing, racing, racing though to get us to the last week of Jesus because this second half of the study that we're calling Jesus Up Close is not about three years, it's about one week. One week in the life of Jesus. And, and it's like old John is racing us to the tomb too. There's a reason for that. There's a reason he wants to take us to the tomb, to the, to the, to the crucifixion and to the tomb fast. John had seen um, a lot of Christians persecuted. He'd seen a lot of people saved into Christ. He had seen so much going on around him. He'd seen his friends die. He'd seen the church explode in growth. He'd seen all of these these, these things. And, and, and because he's older when he's writing this, he has the thing that our older friends have that we need. Or if you're a little older, you have this today. I Maybe mean, I'm starting to get it a little bit. Perspective. He has perspective on life. He's looking at the whole thing and going, oh, Okay, now I understand a little bit more. And if you want to know why is John a little different, partly it's because he's writing it when he's older and he has this perspective of what happened. He had spent about 40 years kind of, kind of digging in, not really writing anything, just doing ministry. And he finally steps back and he says, wait, what just happened? Can I just try to explain What happened? And so he, he, he has this perspective that is incredible. And so, so John understands, hey, you, you guys have the book of Mark, you have Matthew, and you have Luke. And so I know that he, he understands, all right, you know those things, you have those things. So, so I'm leaving some things out because he, he leaves out some things that are kind of curious, but this is why he leaves them out. He leaves out the birth story of Jesus. He leaves out parables. He doesn't have any parables in his entire book, although you can make a case that the whole thing is, is one parable. Like like the whole gospel is 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 one parable. He leaves out these things. He leaves out the transfiguration. He leaves out the Sermon on the Mount, which is super famous. He leaves out the Lord's Supper. But here's what he puts in. He he puts in Jesus washing the disciples' feet. We're going to talk about that next week and what that means. He leaves in this miracle of Jesus turning water into wine, his very first miracle, for a very important reason. He leaves in the story of Nicodemus, this um, Pharisee who, who was, was so overcome with who Jesus was that he had to find out for himself if Jesus was the Messiah. He leaves in the story of uh, the, this non-Jewish woman that he talks to at the well, the woman at the well. He, he, he leaves in the story of the incarnation, meaning Jesus is God come to earth. Like that's his birth narrative. If you read John chapter one, he's saying, Jesus is actually God come to earth. He uses words like he's the word. He's, he's, he's light. And, and so he has this, here's another, another seminary word for you. You don't have to remember this, but he, John has a very high, it's called a high Christology. And what that means is he has an elevated understanding of who Jesus was. He, he just has an elevated understanding of, of, of who Jesus was was, and, and so he asks this question all throughout, you know, what just happened? And, and then he, all along the way, he also says these things. He stops, and he's going to do it in this passage today. He stops and he says, they didn't really understand what was going on. Well, like something will happen, and, and then he'll say, um, but they didn't really get it. In the moment, they didn't really get it. But all throughout, John is asking and answering one question. Okay, he's asking and answering one question, and it's this question: What is love? What is real love? And he's asking it over and over again, and he's answering it with Jesus every single time. You want to know what real love is? Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. In fact, John declares himself, and I think it's pretty cocky at first glance. He declares himself like he was he was one of the three uh, disciples that were really close to Jesus, but he declares himself the disciple Jesus loved. I mean, that's kind of cocky, you know? Like, you're the one Jesus loved? Like, I wonder if the other disciples, when they saw that, well, they didn't get to see because they were dead, right? Uh, so he wrote that. Maybe he's like, I'm just going to say it like this. No one's around to correct me. But he called himself the disciple Jesus loved. You know? He could have called himself a lot of things a, a brother, a, a son, a friend, a disciple, a fisherman. He could have called himself a, a, a writer, a pastor, a theologian. He steps back and he says, none of those are the most important thing. The most important thing is this. I'm the one Jesus loved. I'm the one Jesus loved. If you're here today, um, wherever, really, wherever you are spiritually, me, me too. I, most of the time when I'm up here, I'm just preaching my cell phone. you're just in the room. All right, because I need, I need to hear this. Um, May the one thing you receive from today and from this series is an, a, a greater understanding that you are the one that he loves, that you're the one that he loves. May, may, may you hear that in these words of, of Jesus that we're going to share today over and over and over again. You're the one that I love and said, that's why I'm here. That's what I'm doing. I'm the one He loves. So uh, we understand in this series that we're, we're, because of the length of these chapters, we're not going to get to every single verse, but we want you to dig into those. And so Lynn shared with you, and I hope you got one of these John journals, um, bring it from home if you have one from last time, or if you want another one, uh, grab one today, or if you're new, please, I hope that you get one, just because we want you to follow along and we want you to be able to read the stuff that we don't get to get to in 20 minutes or whatever here. Um, but we also have some other other um, ways to dig in. One of these is called uh, digging deeper. It's just a place on our website uh, called called digging deeper, and it's just questions. Like you can go to our website right now and you can find it, lovely, okay no, there's, a, there's a section called Digging Deeper. It's just gonna give you questions to work through during the week. So if you wanna do these on your own, do these in a group, do these with your spouse, do these with your kids, just, just talk through these. Another thing we're doing is we're gonna offer a reading plan uh, to go along with this and you can get a QR code in the lobby uh, for this. And this is not specific to John. It's on the last days of Jesus though. And so we think that's gonna be really important for us to do together. And then you've got your John Bible journal. And so um, we start chapter 12. Today, and I want to catch you up a little bit to where we've been. John has introduced Jesus, I said, as the word and as the light. He's turned water into wine. He's had this conversation with this guy named Nicodemus. He's, he's healed people. Um, he's, he's fed 5,000, actually more than, way more than 5,000 people. Um, and the Pharisees, the religious rulers, had all these people at, the, at sort of sort of surrounded, okay they were their people, and they began to feel threatened. Because here's this guy who's pulling them away. And their whole structure, their whole tradition, their whole I- infrastructure, everything, was starting to shake. Because Jesus is coming along. he's doing these things that are abnormal and they're being threatened. And John, all along the way, as he writes this, he's saying, see, He's the Messiah. See, he's the Messiah. Let me show you how he is the Messiah. And he goes through these stories, building his case, I- including uh, the, the ultimate one, at least to this point, it was in John chapter 11, where he raised Lazarus from the dead. And, and Lynn Marshall did such a great job of cracking that open for us back in the fall. He raised Lazarus from the dead. Only a Messiah could do that. In fact, specifically, only a Messiah in, in their uh, legal tradition Only a Messiah could raise somebody after four days of being dead. Lazarus had been dead four days. I don't know how that works for the other. Like if you've been dead one or two or three days and somebody raises you, I don't know why that's different, but that was just like one of their rules. And so the Pharisees feel threatened and and there's a man named Caiaphas. He's the chief priest. Now in in chapter 11, it said he was a chief priest that year. And what that meant was that Rome had installed him as the Jewish chief priest. Think about that for a minute. Okay, Rome sticks his fingers into the, the, the Jewish religion and says, we're gonna put a chief priest in place. His name's Caiaphas. He's the one you're gonna deal with this year because it's easy to understand. They wanted control. They wanted their hands in it. They wanted to understand what was going on. And so Caiaphas goes to his, his Pharisee friends and, and, and he's like, hey, we don't want trouble with Rome. Isn't it better, he says this, isn't it better for one person to die than for a whole nation to suffer? And so this tension is building and building and building and that's what we get when we walk into this last week of Jesus' life. The, the tension is like the Pharisees are mad. They're upset. They're trying to figure out what's going on. They feel threatened. Jesus is bringing his kingdom forward and nothing is gonna stop that and they're on this collision course Together and all along, John is asking the question, what are you going to do with Jesus? Hey, Pharisees, what are you going to do with Jesus? But that's a question for you and for me too. What are you going to do with Jesus, right? So let's dig into John chapter 12. I just want to share this first part of John chapter 12 with you. I want to read this uh, with you here, and it starts like this. Verse 1 starts like this. Six days before the Passover. In other words, they're heading, okay, the, the, the Passover, they're heading to Jerusalem. All, all the Jews would head to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover, which is this celebration of the Jews being set free from slavery, the Egyptian slavery, and, and let my people go, and all that, all that stuff was going on in the Old Testament. They come back and they celebrate every year. And so they're all heading to Jerusalem. And so six days before that, Jesus therefore came to Bethany. that was like on the way. Bethany was also where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the the, the dead. Okay, so Lazarus is still around. Lazarus has been brought back and he shows back up right here in chapter 12. And and verse two says says this, it says, so they they gave a dinner for for Jesus there. Martha served, because that's what Martha does. If you know Martha, Martha Martha served and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. And then verse three, "Um, Mary therefore, here's what she did. Mary took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Let's keep it right there for a minute because this is is the scene. The the scene is around this dinner table. They're reclining back and, and Lazarus is there and his sister Martha is there, and his sister Mary is there, and so they're all there, and they're celebrating Jesus and what he has done. They're celebrating the fact that he brought Lazarus back from the dead. They're throwing this dinner in honor of him, and so they're they're, they're all there, and Martha's working because that's just her personality. That's what she does. She's serving, and Mary just leads with her heart. I mean, you you see this every time we see Mary. She's leading out with with her heart. It's almost like she can't contain, contain herself, and so she gets up, and And she pours this expensive perfume um, and and anoints, it says anoints the feet of Jesus. We find out in in one of the other gospels that that she actually pours it all over him. And so it comes down his head and and it goes all over his body and hits his feet as well. And she's done this elaborate thing for him. And, and, and so you, you even this like this is amazing because John is writing this forty years after this happens and he still remembers what the room smelled like. Isn't that an incredible detail? The house was filled with the fragrance. Like, like, like he's writing as an old man and he's thinking, I still remember this day. I still remember that that perfume just filled up the whole room. Let me tell you, like a little perfume goes a long way, right? <laughs> I got some like, it's not perfume, it's like guy perfume. What, what is it called? <laughs> it's gone. It's like lotion, actually. It was just lotion, and uh, I put two dots on, and Liz was like, stop! <laughs> it's too much. A little goes a long way. John remembered that, right? She pours this expensive perfume. And so what does everybody do with that? Like, oh, They're watching her do this, and they're just sitting at the table reclining, and here she gets up, and she cracks this jar up, and she pours it all. That's a crazy th- kind of thing to do right so uh here's what people say they, they're, they're in verse four judas iscariot one of his disciples he, he was <laughs> we know this right he who was about to betray him so john always likes to insert these things said why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor and and like, um, Let's go to verse 5 too, because he goes, like, it says this, John sticks his, his, his nose into this again. And, and you ever have people who ask a question like that? You know, it's often a well-meaning question, but it wasn't with Judas. It's like, why, why would we take money and do that instead of this? Why would we, you know, there's a lot of, you know. He said this, not because he cared. This is John stepping in and giving us a little, a little aside. Not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. John gives us this, this insight into Judas. And and so he goes on in verse seven and, and, and Jesus says this, like, what do you expect Jesus to do in that moment? I mean, maybe Jesus would say, yeah, he's right. We shouldn't waste this. We should, Jesus says this, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. And get this scene, right? Lazarus is sitting there He's done been buried, all right? Like they did this to him already. They poured uh, perfume on him and and covered him and wrapped him and all of those things already. And they put him in the tomb and he came out alive. Jesus raises him. And in the meantime, they're sitting there and she's pouring perfume on Jesus. And I think that maybe she in that moment was the only one who, who first, maybe more than anyone, recognized who Jesus was. Like she recognized Jesus for who he really was. And, and, and then the, like, like the second thing she did was she recognized him also for what was getting ready to happen to him. She recognized this is getting ready to happen to him. He's getting ready to die too. You ever uh, have, a, have like a sudden insight about somebody or, or you, you, you see somebody and you're like, I know this person and I'm supposed to know their name, and I can't remember, and I can't ask them. You know, or, or like you, you just all of a sudden realize, oh, I took you to prom. Um, <laughs> no, or, <laughs> or oh, I knew you in high school, or oh, I used to work with, you know, you ever have that kind of sudden, sudden insight? I think Mary at some point had that sudden insight where she knew, He's the Messiah and he's coming to die to take on the sin of the world with him. And so she responds with this extravagance. She responds with this extravagance while the others looked on why. Because she recognized Jesus for who he really was. What's it look like for us to recognize Jesus for who he really is? You know, maybe she was the only one in that moment who actually did the right thing. She recognized him for who he was, and she didn't care what anyone else thought or said. It goes on, uh, verse 9. When the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, um, they they came, not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom they'd raised from the dead. Of course they did. I mean, hey, this is a dead guy walking around. You want to see that guy? So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well. I got to be honest, when I was studying this again, I kind of forgot about that part. Like, oh, they're trying to kill Lazarus too. Because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. They're panicking. They're trying to stamp this thing out. And and so um, the the next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. And so um, they, they took the branches of palm trees. You've heard this scene, right? Or maybe you've seen the scene read it or seen it in a movie. They went out to meet him and they cried out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of, of Israel. And as Jesus, uh, Jesus found a young donkey and he sat on it, just as it's written, fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. It's amazing. And those two things that happen are actually political statements. The palm branches are one. The palm branches are the recognition of a king. The palm branches are the thing that they would wave to a king. It's a political statement they are making. That intensity is ratcheting up and ratcheting up and ratcheting up even more as he rides in on a, not a horse, but a donkey. If you're a king, like in the old times, if you rode in on a horse, you know what that meant? War. That meant War. But when the king rode in on a donkey, then he's bringing peace. It meant peace. And so here comes Jesus riding a donkey into the city and they're waving these palm branches and shouting Hosanna. And they're making this statement. And Jesus is coming in and he's saying, I am coming as a king, but not the one that you think Even his closest disciples, some of them wanted him to come as a conqueror. They wanted him to come in and declare that that city was his. They wanted him to come in and usurp and take over. But that is not what he was doing. But he is, make no mistake, coming to bring peace. He was coming to bring peace. And maybe not the peace that they were expecting either because here's what he knew and here's what he had said over and over again and he was going to live out with his life that sin has put us into conflict with God. Like our conflict's not with Rome, okay? Our conflict's not with the government. Our conflict's not with other people. Our ultimate conflict is with God. That sin has put us in conflict with him and he has come to bridge that gap and to give us peace. And it wouldn't have been at the moment what they would have said they wanted but it was absolutely what they needed. It was absolutely what what we need and so verse 16 it goes on his disciples they didn't understand these things at first John says but when Jesus was glorified like when it all went down and we're going to see that happen he, then they remembered like they remembered oh yeah he said that these things had been written about him and had been done to him The crowd that had been with him, when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead, they continued to bear witness, it says. They continued to share what was going on. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was was that they heard he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see, you're gaining nothing. Look, they said, the whole world has gone after him. This is just true. When Jesus is seen, like when you see him for who he really is, He's almost impossible to resist. He's almost impossible to resist. So, so much so that I would almost say if you're resisting Jesus, you probably haven't seen him for who he really is yet. So would you hold off your resistance for a minute and just ask God to work, like ask God to reveal himself to you? Because I, I, they, they say it, the Pharisees are like, look, the whole world is gone after him. And they say it in this sense of like, oh my gosh, what are we gonna do? The whole world has gone after him. Now, um, contrast what Mary did with, with these next couple of people. That, uh, th- there's, there's a group of Greeks who come and see Jesus and they wanna, they wanna come find him. Like they wanna come see him. Uh, um, this, this, this group of, of, of Greek people, uh, they're very intrigued by Jesus. They're like, we're... Um, we're, we're fans. Can we see him? Can we, can we talk to him? But Jesus doesn't want fans. He wants followers. He wants followers, and he basically says that to them. And then verse 25, 26, we'll read a couple more verses. Whoever loses, loves his life, loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world, Jesus says, will keep it for eternal life. And if anyone serves me, he must follow me. And, and where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him, and so, so Jesus talks, he sort of talks to these Greeks who are coming. They don't understand who he is. There's another group of people who start shouting out questions to Jesus, and he goes back and forth with them for a little while, but they're not responding. They're not following, and so Jesus goes away and hides from them. He's just like, I'm going to step away from you, and John explains it like this. He says um, that, that they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. This is why they didn't follow him. They love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes um, from God. And so um, Jesus cries out. Like He has this moment at the end of the chapter where he just kind of cries cries out. He yells out. He's he's so passionate about this. And he says says this, um, whoever believes in me believes not in me, Stay with me here, but in him who sent me, and whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. If you're looking for God today, look to Jesus. You wanna see God? Look at Jesus. You wanna know what God's like? Figure out what Jesus is like. You wanna get close to God? Get close to Jesus, like connect with this passage, read this, soak it in, ask him to reveal himself. See, if you want to know God, get to know Jesus. And then this last passage in 46, he says, I've come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him for I didn't come into the world to judge the world, but to save the world. The, only, the one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And, and, and I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. And so this last week of Jesus' life begins. And John's not pulling any punches and neither is Jesus. And the question he's really asking is, are you going to be like Mary or are you going to be like the rest of these guys? Are you gonna be like Mary who just gave of herself extravagantly and understood who Jesus really was? Or are you just gonna kinda sit back at the table and observe? Or are you gonna just sorta ask questions but not really dig in? Or are you gonna just decide, I'm gonna be a fan but I'm not ready to be a follower yet? His invitation is to step into what it looks like to be a follower. If you wanna be like Mary, there's there's three things I wanna tell you really quickly. One of them is this. these are, these are three things you can start to think about doing. One of them is this, give before you get. Like, 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 be somebody who gives before you get. When, when you give without knowing where the source of my um, giving is going to come from, that's gonna allow you to trust him in a deeper kind of way. Start to be somebody who just, just, just gives. Like, what does it look like for you to be extravagantly generous to the people around you, to the things around you that you care about? The second thing is this, love people sacrificially. Love people sacrificially. We're gonna see so much more about this in the coming weeks. As Jesus sets the ultimate example of what it means to love sacrificially. What does it look like for you to get busy loving people with all you have and not worrying about what other people think? You might have a lot of people around your table that are like, you think are looking over your shoulder. Maybe you don't worry about them. What does it look like for you to love people well? Third and last thing, anchor yourself to Jesus like this world is going to pull you back and forth. Anchor yourself to Jesus. I was, I was a couple years ago with a buddy of mine um, fishing and we were way out in the Gulf stream and it was an amazing day until it wasn't because a storm came up and uh, we got caught. I mean, we really got caught and we began to kind of try to make it back, but we very, very slowly through like eight to, I'm not exaggerating, eight to 10 foot waves. That's a lot of tall waves. And uh, it was kind of scary. (laughs) <laughs> and, and it was like, this boat needs an anchor, because it's going all over the place. This boat needs something solid to hold it down. And we were stuck in between the land and a great fishing day. We were just in the, in the, in the storm, in the in-between, stuck in between a beautiful fishing day at sea and the safe shore, and being stuck in between is actually the recipe for a shipwreck. Being stuck in between is the recipe for a shipwreck. Ship, shipwreck. and you might find yourself straddling the line between the world and Jesus, you know? Like, I, I, like which way am I today? Right? Well, I got one foot in and one foot out. It tends to be how we, how we kind of live. It's the recipe for a shipwreck. What does it look like for you to anchor yourself fully to Jesus, not to both sides? I'll just close by saying this, I'm gonna pray for us. Um, I say those things, right? Uh, Give before you get. Love people sacrificially. Anchor yourself to Jesus. I also want to say this. uh, If you're not there yet, it's okay. Like, like, Like if you're not quite there yet, he's not leaving you behind. He's just inviting you forward. We talk about next steps here like probably to the point where you're sick of it, but that's okay. Like, we feel like once you get sick of hearing it, that you're actually getting it. So we talk about those a lot, but there's a reason, because, because you have one, and that next step should be, oh, what's it like for me to take a step towards Jesus? And it's okay to, like none of us have arrived, so it's okay to, to not feel like you've, nobody feels that way here. Um, the important thing is, I'm taking a step, I'm taking a step, I'm taking a step, and I'm digging in. And I want to be more like Mary who was able to give freely and love extravagantly and worship him wholly because she recognized who he is. Thanks again for listening. You can find out more about Love Lake Norman at lovelkn.org. If you live in our area, we would love to have you join us on Sunday. If you're not near our church, we wanna encourage you to find a life-giving church to be a part of where you live. That will be a key next step on your spiritual journey. Please take a minute, subscribe to this podcast, and keep up to date with our weekly messages. And thanks again for joining the Love Lake Norman podcast.